Hey, this is Arielle, and you're listening to the Cyber PR Music Podcast, Dispatches for the New Music Business. All right, Derek Sivers, welcome. All right, Arielle Hyatt, thank you. So everyone, today's guest is a very old friend, not in his age, but in our friendship. I'm old. It is quite old. (laughs) A lot of us haven't seen you in a minute. If you would love to catch us up on what you've been up to, that would be spectacular. Uh, Not much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is my first interview in three and a half years. Um, I have said no a few times in a week for three and a half years. And after three and a half years, I said yes to you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, So I was living in New Zealand for six years, had a kid, moved to Oxford, England a few weeks ago, got a dog. Um, Here I am. There's my update. So you have a new book for artists and musicians on the horizon. And I know a lot of people will be very excited to hear that news. And I know about a lot of the contents because I have been a longtime reader of your work and a subscriber of the old CD Baby emails. And I imagine, will some of this come from some of the old music thoughts reads? Music thoughts. Whoa, there's a term I haven't heard in a long time. Um, Yeah, I think I'm actually technically still the moderator of that. Wow. For those who don't know, uh, in I think it was 1999, I set up a Yahoo Groups email letter list called music thoughts at yahoogroups.com. I think it's, and I think it's still active. Um, I stopped going there a few years ago, but I think technically I'm still the moderator. Um, yeah, we'll find out anyway. Sorry. Uh, so no, let's see the, the music thoughts email list. Um, that was more of like a, it was like a community community before social networks, you know, like in 1999, we didn't really have, social networks and so people would use things like email lists and usenet to just talk with other musicians and just say like hey does anybody have any good advice for picking a digital audio workstation or somebody would say hey do you know any booking agents or got a club to recommend in miami i'm thinking about playing this club it's just like a way to communicate with other musicians uh and ask their opinion on things so the things that i prefer to talk about are the more timeless things, maybe just because, uh, like you said, I'm old. Um, but I think even before that, it's, I think the tips come and go. Uh, maybe I'm just really slow, but to me, it would feel like, you remember things like mp3.com and MySpace would just like come and go in, in a heartbeat. And then things like, uh, God, I don't know. Um, I was about to just list a whole bunch of brand names, but now I don't even know if they are gone or not, but there are a whole bunch of, uh, companies that, they come by and they exist for a couple of years and people get all a flutter about them and then they disappear a couple of years later. And I'm not too concerned about those things. Um, I really admire that some people stay on top of that stuff, but that's not me. I don't aim to be on top of things. Um, I like to be at the bottom of things. So I really like the things that are more big philosophies that applied 20 years ago and will apply 20 years from now. And so when I was putting together this book called Your Music or People, that was the big thing that I was looking at uh, in every 
page was thinking that I'm going to print up uh, paper versions of this, like maybe even hardcover, which means that somebody might buy it in 2019 and it might be sitting on their shelf in the year 2049. So what can I write now that will still be true in 2049? And that's the kind of stuff I like writing about. So uh, I'm not even going to talk about, you know, MP3s because those will be gone and trying to just remove any, any kind of idea of contemporary advice and just think more of like the root of things. Like, what are we really doing here? Why are we really making music? And, and why do people really like music? Why do they choose to go out to shows? Why do people choose to listen to the music they do? And what gets them hooked? And what makes people pay attention to things or not? So th- these are the subjects that interest me. So I imagine that a lot of those subjects have to do with human relations because you're not talking about tools and you're not talking about you know i dogs time. yes we're not talking about dogs <laughs> let's talk about humans let's just limit it just to humans yes <laughs> and, um, i don't care though but the beasts i think it's it's an it's a very it's of course it's timeless but it is also relevant i've been reading cal newport's very brilliant book digital minimalism recently mm. and Reading, there's a very alarming article that just came out in the Atlantic about how we're basically destroying our our young teens and tweens brains by giving them smartphones and how all of this stuff is making us feel unhappy and not connected. And I know that a lot of your work has has focused around connection, how to make connections. And one thing that I have always, we've been friends for a long time and I'm the um, extreme Uh, extrovert in this friendship and you're the opposite and I would love if and I'm sure it's somewhere in the book if you could talk a little bit about something I see many musicians struggle with which is they are naturally introverted they love being on stage and sharing their musical versions of themselves but when they get off stage when it comes to networking or in real life situations it can be really confronting and I know you, you, you go through this a little bit yourself. Yeah, I think it's part of the reason why introverts are really drawn to being entertainers or being in music. No, I think it's two things. For one, uh, to build up the kind of skill that people will pay money to hear, you know, to be that good on your instrument or that good at your at singing or that good at uh, performing on stage, it takes hundreds or thousands of hours alone in a room practicing. And not just playing, not just like playing out on street corners uh, every day, but actually like sitting down and practicing that difficult passage until you've got it into your fingertips and sing that arpeggio until you're nailing it and all that kind of stuff. It takes a lot of alone time to be great at something. Um, So first I think it's that. I think uh, us introvert types really like being alone as for as long as it takes to get great at something that just fits well with personality. But then I think the other interesting thing is seeing how you can, like we all need some human connection, right? So I think with introverts and extroverts, it's just a matter of like um, how, how much feels overstimulating, right? So, um, I think it's really interesting this idea of going on stage for just like one hour 
and giving it your all for one hour. And you've now just connected with 300 people in that room in a very efficient way on your terms. Mm -hmm. uh, and 300 people now feel an emotional connection to you or 3,000 or 30,000. And then you get to go <sighs> and go backstage and just like collapse, you know, and how cool to just give it your all for one hour all right. and make those connections. And so, yeah, I know a lot of uh, musicians do the same thing I do. It's like you get off stage and you just go like backstage and you just go like, you're just spent, you know, you just gave it your all and you just need to recover for a bit. Um, so I think it's the same thing with, uh, not being on stage, but just going to say a conference or going out to some kind of party or get together, or even just meeting up with, um, well, let's not say one-on-one -on -one conversations because one-on-one -on -one conversations usually aren't draining uh, unless they're just uh, a miserable conversationalist. But it's, it's usually just those situations where you just have like too many people around and it's kind of like a freaky. So like conferences, for example, I just like that you can go to a conference and emerge from your hotel room, show up for 90 minutes, turn to lots of people and say like, hi, what do you do? You can almost just kind of approach this thing with this uh, list of some conversational questions that you can use to break the ice. And then it's like, after you have the first few questions, now you're having a real human connection with another person. Um, and it's not exhausting at all, because that's when it gets rewarding, especially once you get into a one-on-one -on -one conversation like I said, those usually are not draining. It's just when you look at a room of like 500 people at a conference and you think, oh, I don't know any of these people. I just want to run away. Um, but uh, sorry, does that help? I kind of included a couple tangents in there. Um, yeah, it helps tremendously. And I think, you know, what you're basically giving are tools. Like if it's really intimidating to go into a room, think about taking yourself out of the equation, really, because that's what asking other people about themselves is. You could be anyone. Mm -hmm. And you're just saying, tell me about what you do. And I think that's, a, that's an enormous gift that so few have. You know, they're always right. you know, gunning it. They want to talk about, I got this thing and I'm doing this thing and I have to have my pitch and, you know, all that stuff that yes. people out. You know, there is a huge <laughs> gift in listening and in asking. And... I know that you have this gift and people will end up telling you all kinds of things that would not come up in normal conversation because they've just been given the opportunity to share or just talk. Right. Right. Mm. Without feeling like, you know, it's carnival barker time because we're at a conference or at a networking. <laughs> oh God, no, that's the worst thing you could do. I think this is one of the most, one of the most counterintuitive things about promotion is I know we've, we've heard it, uh, but it's hard to put into practice instead of just theory, is that the way to be interesting is to be interested, right? It's like, we have our time on stage. Um, your time on stage, of course, like that's just me, 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 me time. That's just you up on stage and everybody's looking at you. You're not supposed to be so interested in the audience when you're on stage. You're just, they're into you, that's understood. But when you get off stage, the best thing you could do is to just be interested in others, especially if we're talking about a, a situation like a conference or any kind of, um, it doesn't even have to be an official conference, but any kind of get together where there are uh, people in one place that, that could benefit your career in some way. Uh, the best thing you could do is to not talk about yourself. Like just don't be that annoying uh, 
self-promotional person that doesn't shut up about themselves because nobody wants those people around. They're annoying and they're just like, they pitch their shit to anybody who will listen and they're like a mosquito, right? Like nobody likes mosquitoes. A mosquito right. enters a room of people looking to see like, what, what can I get out of you? And they just go up to each person. They just try to like drain them and, uh, and then move on. And people hate mosquitoes. So don't be a mosquito. Instead, you look at a room of people and you usually just pick one, somebody that's not already engaged in a conversation. And you go up and you say, hi, uh, what do you do? Or you just, you, you get interested in somebody else. Um, because the other counterintuitive thing about uh, conferences or any kind of public events is that that's not where the real business happens. Like this is just where you're making a little human connection with somebody. This is where this person thinks this is a cool person. This is somebody I'd, I'd like doing business with because ultimately people do business with people they like. Right? So if you are a likable person that they like talking to uh, and could see themselves uh, enjoying working with, then the real business happens a few days later when they're back in their office, when they're sitting at their desk, giving something their full attention, they're actually working. Then they can remember that cool conversation they had with Ariel, who seems like a cool person. You send the follow-up email and everything really happens in the follow-up, not uh, pitching your shit at somebody at a conference. So uh, sometimes I think the best promotion you can do is to say nothing of yourself, almost nothing of yourself in the moment, in those situations, maybe a, just one good sentence about who you are and what you do. Just one intriguing sentence, that's it. And then shut up and listen. And then just make sure that you do the follow-up because uh, especially when you go to these conferences, 99% of the people you meet don't do the follow-up. That's which so means, true. It's which unbelievable. Means, which means they've just completely wasted all of their time and money because nothing is supposed to happen at the conference. Everything happens in the follow-up. Right. So it was amazing to me, like how many people, uh, especially when I was at CD Baby, I would give my business card. I would really come with a stack of a few hundred cards and only give them to people who asked, give them to people who asked. And then I just sit back and watch to see what would happen. And I'd get like one or two follow-ups after the conference a week later. And that's it. And I think, yeah. wow, hundreds of people just wasted all their money. Because yeah. um, it's, it's not about pushing your shit at somebody. It's all about the follow-up. Right. I printed my mobile phone number on every single one of my business cards, thousands of them. I think I can count three times that people have either texted or called me directly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. See, that's just kind of like, and a lot of that's just social anxiety. People are just like, oh, I don't know what to do. But you, again, it's just like, you, that's what's so interesting about um, uh, some of these books and techniques that have been used to like teach people how to like the original 1930s book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. There have been a dozen other books similar to that, like uh, How to uh, Power Schmoozing, How to Make People Like You, How to Never Eat Alone. All these books, yeah. are the same. it's the same version of that classic for sure. Yeah. And a lot of them have very specific bits of advice like that. Uh, I remember the writer Neil Strauss, uh, who's a journalist and a great interviewer, said that whenever he's talking to somebody, he listens for what he called them uh, hooks. He said, I almost kind of imagine little fish hooks in a sentence that whenever s somebody says a word or a phrase that, that I think I could ask more questions about, like about that. So if somebody says, well, 
you know, where I'm from, we don't do that. But of course, that just leads up to, well, where are you from? And why don't people do that where you're from? And uh, listening for those fish hooks that you can add more questions to. It's just like a simple technique, but it's powerful. And, and sometimes these things are artificial techniques at first, but then you internalize them and they become natural, kind of like music. At first, some teacher put, teaches you to put your fingers on the frets like that, even though it doesn't make sense to you. You're going like that. And then eventually it becomes natural and it's just the way that you make music. So I think it's the same thing with people skills. Uh, you can learn them unnaturally at first, which might feel weird. Just let it feel weird for the first two times and then it'll feel natural. I love that you have the word people in the title of your new book. Oh, I got to tell you how that happened. Please. Okay, so, um, so for years I had been calling this collection of essays uh, How to Call Attention to Your Music. Before that, I think I called it Marketing Your Music. And I just kept feeling like, ah, eh, that's just not the right title. And I was like, what about this? What about that? I tried a bunch of titles. So then I did a, a word count. There's a thing you can do on the computer where you say, uh, I took the entire finished book and I said, show me the most popular words um, sorted in order. So, of course, the most popular word is the and a and and. Um, but then immediately past the articles and conjunctions were... Uh, the, the first most popular word after that was your, the next most popular word was music, and the next most popular word was people. I'm like, there you go, your, music, and people. That's what this book is about. And actually, just a couple more words down, uh, the next most used words were creative and considerate. I keep talking over and over and over again about being creative and being considerate. So the subtitle of the book is Creative and Considerate Fame. So I just figured, like, I'll just go through the most popular words in the book and just use those. I love that. Creative and considerate fame. Yeah. Because if you think about sort of fame in 2019, Kardashians, um, <laughs> it's neither creative nor considerate. It's sort of... Right. It's no. different we, different role <laughs> models, right? Like, we, there, there's a, a T word I won't mention that, you know, people wanting to be rich should not emulate... Uh, anybody who got rich. You look at somebody who got rich the way you want to get rich and go for that. And I think it's the same thing with fame. There's fame can mean, you know, like I think you're famous. I think I'm kind of famous. Um, fame can be any amount that you want it to be. Um, fame doesn't have to mean stupid Kardashian fame. It can be, uh, my, my dad is actually a famous particle, high energy particle physicist. So if he gets into an elevator or a conversation with somebody else who's in particle physics, they're just like, holy shit, you're the Dr. Sivers? Oh my God. Yeah. But nobody would recognize him outside of the narrow field of particle physics. And right. I was like, that's the best kind of fame. It's like, so yeah, fame can just be, you could just be famous among uh, jazz uh, bass session musicians. And that would be really cool. Yes, for sure. So, there's an article that I have been, that you wrote quite some time ago and then rewrote that I've been visiting, visiting a lot lately. And you call it just simply balance. Mm -hmm. And it's an article that has 
been striking a chord with me because as I've shifted what we do here at Cyber PR from being publicists and pitching music to being more on the strategy side and helping our artists with the large picture of what is the next year of your career look like, I am always hearing the same theme and this deep urgency that I feel a lot of creators have to make music full time to make money off of everything. Uh, we have to license and we have to understand it where every penny is coming and we have to have multiple streams of income. And this, the reality of what's going on with Spotify is it's harder and harder to make money the way that we used to. And so everybody's in this conversation about making money. But that article still, I feel like instead of delivering a 150-page marketing plan to a lot of artists that call me and want this I feel like I should just deliver balance <laughs> your article. Can you talk a little bit about why you wrote it and what it's about? Yeah. Um, there's some things in life that we uh, are kind of predisposed to believe, like we believe them first, whether there's evidence or not. And there's other things in life that it takes a hard it takes us a while to admit that this is true, whether we like it or not. So this is, for years, I would just tell everybody to just follow your dreams all the way, whatever you're thinking, go do it all the way Throw, find what you love and let it kill you, throw yourself into this completely. And I think maybe there are certain times in your life or for certain people or certain situations where that's the correct advice. But the, what I started noticing slowly again and again, just meeting hundreds or thousands of people and talking with everybody, is that the happiest people I know are the ones who have something that pays their bills, like some kind of regular job that doesn't suck their soul dry, that they just show up to and it's just kind of like no big deal. You know, maybe they just work at the, at the in a government office, shifting papers from left to right or whatever, but it just, they show up, it's easy. It doesn't drain their soul. And that's, and that pays their cost of living. That pays your mortgage, your house, your life, lets you save money. And then they pursue their art seriously in the hours outside of that, whether it's morning people waking up before work, uh, night people staying up after, uh, staying up late or just doing it on weekends, whatever it is to have this magic balance. So you have to pursue it seriously because here's what happens is I feel that everybody I know who's a full-time artist, not everybody, but almost everybody I know that's a full-time artist is weary because it's, uh, it can kind of suck your soul up. You're being vulnerable full-time. You know, you're, you're naked full time. Your, your, your heart is sliced open full time and that can really drain your soul. And so I've kept in touch with a lot of people over the years. It just, you see it just kind of suck the life out of them, like constantly trying to make a living with their art and then, or they get upset because they, they found some compromise where it's like they're, they're doing it instead of doing the gigs they want to do, they're doing cover band gigs or they're, playing as a sideman for somebody else when what they really wanted was to be their own front man. So they compromise and then they feel weird about that compromise because they're kind of like, well, why did I get into this in the first place? It's not to be somebody's sideman. This is never what I wanted. I, you know, um, 
or now I'm doing jingles. Like, yeah, I guess this is music, but what am I doing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just noticed a lot of those people are just like not happy. Um, and then of course, like as soon as like, it's a gig economy in this entertainment in music is a gig economy. So every time you do something, you're wondering where your next gig is going to come from. And you're having to like constantly try every single thing all the time. Okay. So then there's the other half, which are the people who have a day job that drains them and they don't give their art the serious attention it requires. So those are the people who kind of let their day job take over their life too much. And they feel like a, uh, a stone statue version of themselves. They feel like um, a shell of their former passion itself because they've let all of their passion disappear, that they're going through the motions, but their life feels empty because it has no art. It has no meaning. It has no, it's not filled with soul and heart and uh, ambition and whatever. They're just going through the motions. So those people are miserable too. So you don't want to go all that way into the life of a day job and letting your art be something you do for a few hours on the weekend. No, like that's not enough. It has to be, um, it has to be the, the balance of both where the happiest people I've met are the ones who have the day job that's not taking up too much of their life. And then they actually seriously pursue their art, meaning like not just playing music, but like practicing and improving and sweating out uh, what it takes to make that song great or sweating out, like learning some new, style of music on your instrument that you weren't good at before and practicing, continuing to take lessons and um, challenging yourself and continuing to grow as an artist and then releasing your music, uh, not just saying like, eh, you know, just, I'm just going to leave it sitting in my bedroom, but actually releasing it to the world, but not caring too much whether it sells well or not, but giving it a serious go. Mm. Then it seems to me that each half of your life becomes a remedy for the other. It's like you're at work, you're, you're earning money, but your, your uh, soul, your heart, your art is a little dormant for eight hours. And then you go back to this side of your life and you've got, uh, and then it, it flowers and flourishes and you're creating and you're making things and changing your corner of the world. But then if you spend too much, once you, you send out your music for, uh, whether it's review or for opportunities that you hear of, you send it out and you get constant rejections and it's just like, God damn, this vulnerability hurts. And then you get to just go back to work and it's like, ah, it's like each half becomes a remedy for the other half of your life. And yeah, these are the happiest people I've met are the ones that have balanced their life this way. So mm-hmm. it, it almost takes away all that pressure from the music side because mm-hmm. of this. And I never thought of it the way you just said it, like the, the work actually, the work, the day job work actually helps to alleviate the pain and pressure of the rejection, mm-hmm. the, the, the need that, okay, this has to get wherever it needs to go in whatever yeah. you choose. I, I love that. Um, I will obviously put a link to this article and another one that's come up recently um, from a much more millennial perspective than Derek and I have, which is all about how this, this, the next generation below us has really taken to heart that if you have a passion, you have to have a hustle around it and how mm. that's also quite detrimental. And it's, it's no longer just okay 
the article cites a woman that makes beautiful dresses just for herself. She doesn't have to start an Etsy store. She can just make mm. the dresses for the beauty and art of enjoying the, the journey of making a dress. You know, it's like every time I, I love cooking and that's my, my outlet. <laughs> I just like to cook. I have no intention right. of starting a restaurant or a catering company. It's just really nice to have people come over and prepare a meal for them or cook together. Um, yeah. To me, the, the most, uh, the l- most lewd and obvious one of this is like is sex. Just cause you enjoy sex doesn't mean you need to make money off of it. You can just enjoy it. Back to Neil Strauss. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, that's right. Or gardening or any of it. Like you just, right. it, but I think around music and art specifically, there is this messaging about if it's not a full-time gig, it's not legit or it's not, you know, you failed somehow. And so many artists, right. I work, you know, they pay me money and they won't tell me what their day job is because there's some sort mm. of weird shame around that, which is, I love your, your outlook on it. It's just a different way of, of, balancing these two things. So. By the way, I don't know if it's too late for anybody listening to this, but if, if it's not too late yet, if you can still adopt a stage name, I highly recommend that. I mm-hmm. think it is so healthy to, to disconnect a little bit. Uh, Paul Hewson knows that Bono is the public persona and Paul Hewson is you know, who his friends know. Um, I'm sure his friends don't call him Bono. If somebody calls him Bono, he knows they're referring to the public persona. Hmm. Um, uh, It's a good reminder that the public you is not you. That if somebody's leaving a nasty comment or a bad, you know, whatever, any kind of nasty comment on something you've created, that's not you. That's not the real you. They're commenting on something you created. Even if they're attacking you, what they're really attacking is like an avatar of you, almost like as if you've just created a little video game character that's running around and and somebody's hacking at it with a sword. It's like, that's not you personally. Um, And I think that you can understand that without getting a stage name. So I'm actually very disconnected from my public persona, both directions. If somebody says something nasty about me, I think it's kind of cute. If somebody praises a gushes compliments and praise on me, I also just kind of like, that's not me. They're just praising something I created. But the real me is just, you know, sitting here uh, on the couch with my dog and uh, it's not the public me. So um, I think having a stage name makes that really obvious and I highly recommend it. So therefore somebody could be a uh, practicing dentist (laughs) with a very stable life as a dentist from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. And then once you get home and eat something and from 5 p.m. to midnight, you are, you know, whatever, DJ Lava Face. And there's, there's no mistaking which one is which. Um, yeah, I highly recommend that. I love that. That is a perfect place, I think, to end this fantastic <laughs> few minutes with Derek Severs. Do you have anything else that's on your mind these days that you want to share before we sign off? God. <laughs> uh, yeah, if anybody's... Uh, I, I'm actually... I'm looking to take lessons in modern music arranging. When I was at 
Berklee School of Music. There were classes in like arranging for big band. And there were classes in rock music arranging that was just like, you know, to have the bass drum and the, the bass line match up. Ooh, you know, big stuff. But I've been thinking about how much I admire sophisticated pop arrangements, sophisticated arrangements of any modern music where there's so many layers in that production. But it's not necessarily the music production that I'm interested in, you know, tweaking the EQs and such, but just I'm so fascinated with how, with a combination of musical instruments together, like more than I'm interested in just, you know, guitar or sax or drums. I'm really interested in how instruments go together. So if anybody listening to this wants to email me with any uh, advice or courses or where they've learned about uh, arranging and combining instruments, if you go to sivers.org slash contact, uh, S-I-V-E-R-S dot O-R-G slash C-O-N-T-A-C-T. That's, I put my email address in huge letters there. So just email me and say hello. Derek, thank you. Delightful Thanks. as always. Book is coming out sometime within the next couple of weeks. Ah, who cares? Whenever it comes out. Get on his email list. He'll announce it. <laughs> and are you on social yeah. media these days? Can anyone um, ask you questions? No more Twitter, nothing. I mean, I'm... I, just email me. It's like every now and then. Yeah, I, I do. I check to see who at mentions me on Twitter. But uh, most interesting things I have to say won't be said in you know one sentence. So I usually have more than a sentence to say about things. So if you have a real question that needs more than a few words of an answer, just email me. I read all my emails. I reply to all. So there you go. He reads all his emails. <laughs> and replies to every replies. single one. Fantastic. I don't think it's that hard. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Thanks for the chat. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Cyber PR Music Podcast. Please head on over to cyberprmusic.com for hundreds of articles that will help you get ahead in your music career. Plus, come download one of my six freebies. These are check sheets and action sheets that'll help step you through everything from how to get effective publicity to marketing plans to identifying your ideal fans. Plus, it'll sign you up to my mailing list so you don't miss a single future episode.